Side Hustle to Small Business is brought to you by Hiscox Insurance. Hiscox understands small business insurance isn't like other insurance. To learn more about how Hiscox Insurance can protect your business, go to Hiscox.com. Hiscox, encourage courage. someone is ready to be your partner or wants to be your partner, um, you shouldn't be negotiating 60-40. You know, my wife and I do not uh, think of ourselves as 60-40 partners in our marriage. We're 50-50. And believe me, she definitely does more childcare and I definitely do more house maintenance. But we don't nickel and dime each other over who does what. We are in it together and, and that's love and that's how we make a family work. And I think it's the same thing with the business. Um, if you are keeping score day to day or worried about who is getting a little bit more or a little bit less, you're going to spend your time doing that. And any amount of time fighting over the pieces that are already part of the pie instead of working on making new pie, I think that's, that's how um, you stall a business, not start a business. Welcome to Side Hustle to Small Business. I'm Lou Casal. On this show, I talk with entrepreneurs who chased after a dream without any idea of how it would turn out. Let's face it, nothing great is achieved without risk. Do you have what it takes? Hi, everyone. I'm going to start off today's show with two words, entrepreneur, partner. You normally don't hear those two words side by side. There's a perception out there that entrepreneurs chase their dreams alone. In reality, a lot of businesses are formed as partnerships. On today's show, I'm talking with Jared Novak. He's one of the founders of Upstatement. Upstatement is a creative design studio, and they've produced creative work for some of the world's leading brands, publishers, products, and nonprofits. Upstatement was born during late nights at the Syracuse University student newspaper. That's where the founders of Upstatement first met before graduating to the newsrooms of the New York Times and Boston Globe. Little did they know then those experiences working together as college students would go on to guide them as business partners in the future. I talk with Jared about meeting his future business partners in college, the early days of his side hustle, the lessons he's learned along the way, and what it takes to build a strong business partnership. Jared, welcome to Side Hustle to Small Business. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Lou. Really excited to talk to you today more about this stuff. Yeah, and it's great to have you on the show. You know, I was thinking about where to start today, and I was ready to jump to Syracuse University and the Daily Orange student newspaper. But when we were chatting earlier, I asked you if you had any small business owners in the family, and you had an interesting observation about your parents. Your parents were actually small business owners, but given their professions, that wasn't obvious to you growing up. Is that right? Yeah, totally. And this wasn't something I had thought about myself until about maybe a couple of years back. Whereas like, wait a second, my mom always worked for herself. She was a travel agent most of my childhood, booking her own tours and groups and stuff like that. And my dad, basically all my life, ran his own practice as a lawyer, doing real estate work for shopping malls and other kinds of like companies. So in my background, I remember always seeing them very comfortable doing work. And it wasn't just that they brought their work home with them, because I'll be honest, they were not like crazy workaholics, but I got to see you know little bits of what it was like to deal with some of the questions that they were dealing with and frankly, like making it seem like no big deal. You know, it's just your mom, it's just your dad. It's not a giant piece of drama or hardship. It's just what they do. So I'm guessing you had a glimpse early on into what it really meant to run your own business. And I don't want to jump ahead here, but I'm sure as I hear you talk about it, those memories of your mom and dad working around the house, probably there were some late nights and weekends, I'm sure along the way, I'm sure all of that comes roaring back 
to you when you eventually decided to start your own business? I definitely have memories of like seeing them wrestling with work. We had a setup where there were kind of two computers in this back bedroom, and I would always be working on the left on homework, you know, a paper for an English class. And on the right, my mom would be working on her business, dealing with clients and emailing different groups about travel arrangements or cruises she was trying to book. And it was always very interesting just to, you know, even overhear her on the phone talking with, you know, a rep from an airline or a cruise. And it kind of gave me a glimpse of what it was like to see mom, the business person, and how she could both be so friendly, but also so forceful, honestly. And it was a very different way than she would talk to my brother and I, because there it was, hey, this is what you need to do, or this is what you need to make happen for me as your mother. But with her business context, I had to see kind of the very soft way in which she worked and got to observe, okay, this is how mom gets things in the business world. And it was really interesting to see. And she's someone I definitely think about, you know, when I'm on the phone myself with a client or potential partner, how do you make someone see the world as you do? And putting myself in my mom's shoes has always been kind of a helpful trick for me. Let's jump to college. What did you major in and what type of career were you interested in pursuing? So I was dead set on being the next great filmmaker, you know, Stanley Kubrick, Steven Spielberg. I had a real list of movies I wanted to make a picture in my head. So I went to Syracuse because they had a really cool film program that was much more tied to the art school. And I thought that would be a great way to kind of, you know, get the picture that was in my head out onto the screen. And my second day of classes, I noticed an ad in the student newspaper that said designers wanted. And I thought, oh my God, this is perfect. I used to do a little design work for my high school newspaper. They say they pay. Uh, It seems like a good way to like meet people and do some stuff. I'll go and sign up. So I walked into the offices of the Daily Orange and the guy that answered the door was the senior. His name was Tito. And that's the day I started working with him. And here we are, I think 17 years later, now owning Upstatement together. Jared, you didn't meet just one of your future business partners at Syracuse. You met both of them. Can you tell me a little bit about your first impression of meeting your future business partners? Yeah. So I was a second day freshman when I met Tito, who was at that point a senior at Syracuse. And I thought he was the coolest guy who just knew everything in the world, everything about design and graphics and editorial. He was just the smartest guy in the world to me. And That's turned out to be true in some ways. He is still just this brilliant, brilliant thinker. And I remember when Mike started, I was already a junior by then, as was he. So we were well into our college careers. I remember we interviewed him and he was up against someone who was honestly like a slightly better designer, a very, very slightly better designer. And I was debating with another designer at the time. Her name was Layla. And I told Layla, I was like, Layla, this is your hire. She was managing the design department at that point. And she was like, well, what do you think? And I was like, honestly, the other person's a little bit of a better designer, but Mike has this spark about him that tells me he can lead your department in a year when you're ready to move on. And she said, I totally agree. Let's hire Mike. And that insight about Mike is exactly who he is. He has this great quality for leadership and how to steer this company. Tito and I say to each other, all the time. If it weren't for Mike, Upstatement wouldn't exist. And he just has always had this passion and drive, which is the stuff that allowed us to kind of break out of our early day shell and become what we are today. What was it like 
you know, going back to, again, college, what was that like when you think about it back then? You guys obviously were doing, I'm sure you had different roles at the newspaper. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like working with them? I mean, you guys are in your, I guess, late teens, early 20s. What was it like and what were your roles at the paper? So Mike Tito and I all had similar roles at the paper. We just kind of overlapped at different times. And what was interesting about our path is we each started as a designer at the paper, you know, figuring out the layout, figuring out the graphics, figuring out how to use art and typography and photography in the newspaper. And that is a pretty good example of like what we started Upstatement doing. It's the stuff. But each of us grew over the course of our time there. So we all went from the designer to the person who was leading the designers and managing design and thinking about, okay, it isn't just me making this thing. It's me overseeing these people who are making things until we got to be editors in different capacities and actually driving We're not just figuring out the design of the thing. We're figuring out what this newspaper, what this story, what this organization is trying to do overall. So that was a really interesting growth. So we each interacted with each other kind of one step ahead of the other. And it was honestly like the newspaper was the best educational experience I could imagine for a lifetime because, you know, Mike and I, we thought about some really heady ethical issues together about whether to publish this racist video that came about on campus And in doing so, I think we learned a lot about just ourselves and how we think about these things, but we learned how to work about this stuff together. I learned about what Mike's triggers and what his like hopes and drives and passions were. I learned how to work that stuff out with him. I learned how to honestly like fight with him sometimes as we had different views, but needed to come together on some sort of consensus. So it was a great early practice for each other, not just to learn those skills ourselves, but we kind of learn together. This is how Tito works. This is how Mike works. This is how Jared works and how to work with kind of the powers that we are. Sounds like, and this isn't to take anything away from what you were learning inside the classroom, but it sounds like the real education you got from four years of college took place and happened at the paper. Completely correct. The classes were an interesting supplement to education, a great place to learn some kind of very specific skills, but it was the newspaper that we actually got to put them into practice every night. I learned intro web development out on campus and then came back and we rebuilt our online newspaper. I learned little bits of 3D animation out on campus and we brought them back and made like interactive 3D graphics about you know new buildings or news events. And that was such an interesting way to kind of take what we were learning in the classroom And instead of applying it to a hypothetical project, you got to apply it to something real and you got feedback, not just from a professor or from your classmates, but from a campus of 20,000 some odd people. They would tell you if you did something really great. And they would also tell you if you did something really, really, really bad. And what a way to learn. So college is coming to an end. At that point, were you just focused on finding that first job out of school? I was, and I had no idea what to do. This is in 2006. And of course, I just finished basically, like you said, four years of learning about newspapers. Well, I should go get a job at a newspaper, right? So I interviewed at the Arizona Republic to be the lead designer for their business pages. Had a really good interview. Wasn't necessarily sold on Phoenix, but I'm thinking about it. Okay, should I take this job? Should I take this job designing the front page of the newspaper or the business section every day? And In my deliberations, I'm thinking back and forth over the course of about a week. And the design editor's emailing, you know, Jared, we're all so excited. What are you going to say? You know, do we have an answer? They threw more money at me and I'm thinking about it. And I remember I woke up one morning in a cold sweat and I had this nightmare. I woke up and I remember thinking, wait a second, 
It is 2006, and you're about to take a full-time job designing newspaper pages? Are you crazy? That's the worst possible thing you could do. So I called up the design editor and I said, thank you so much for the offer, but I have to pass. So I didn't have a job and I was thinking about what I wanted to do. And I realized I had kind of the fundamental skills I needed to do the design and journalism that I was interested in, in an interactive space. So I took a lot of the intro web design stuff that I was doing and I applied that toward, okay, I want to build my own news website. And it was kind of like a very, very early like Reddit. It wasn't any good. I want to be very clear. I did not think of Reddit myself or something, but based on, could we somehow tell people what news was going to be important to them based on proximity? So I learned a lot about like PHP programming and Ajax programming and other kinds of like cool, like HTML5 stuff that was going on at the time. So I could build this thing. It was useless. It didn't go anywhere, but it helped me get a job at the Houston Chronicle as a web designer. So it was a really great transition for the learning that I needed to do to apply it in the real world. So from there, you eventually get to the Boston Globe. I'm assuming you were probably in a similar role there. And it was at the Boston Globe when you first started a side hustle. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So I had moved up to Boston to work at the Globe. And Tito and Mike were already there. Tito was the art director for the website. Mike had just finished a job on the maternity leave for another designer who was there. So he had left and he said, you know, I'm going to try this freelance thing on my own. So we are at a party one night and Mike is talking to some guy and the guy's asking him, hey, uh, what is it that you're doing? He's like, oh, I'm a freelance web designer. And the guy says, oh, freelance web designer. That's awesome. The place I work is actually looking for a web designer right now to help us with a project. And he's like, oh, awesome. Where do you work? And he says, Harvard University Graduate School of Design. Are you interested? Um, and the answer was definitely yes. So we hear about the project and we work on a pitch to them about why they should hire our company to do this work. One of those things where we stayed up all night, definitely making the case way harder than it needed to be made, going to the meeting and in that meeting, present the idea, we present kind of this thesis, I guess, for the problem they had. And they wanted to build kind of a intranet for their students to help with common questions. You know, what is the 3D printer available? What time are the studios accessible, et cetera, et cetera. So we had this pitch for the system. At the end, one of the guys in the room asked us, okay, interesting pitch. How much is this all going to cost? We take a deep breath and we're like, oh, geez, this could cost... $5,000? Kind of let that hang there. And it's like quiet. And the guy says, oh, well, our budget is actually $15,000. Would you still be able to do it for that? And we said, yeah, I, I think we can work something out. So that was one of the first big projects that we had. And basically the idea was, let's just kill it. Let's do it so well that they will know that they spent their $15,000 correctly. And that led to other opportunities, that led to other opportunities. And in the meanwhile, Mike is doing this full-time. Tito and I are both part-time, nights and weekends type thing, while we are also working at the Globe on their website doing art and graphics and programming and stuff like that. So after that project, did you guys actively go out and start seeking additional projects? Were they primarily word of mouth? What was it like at that time? After we finished that project, what we found was the work started to find us. When we got to Boston, we did a really good job, I think, kind of accidentally networking. Mike moved in 
to a house with a bunch of MIT grads who were all doing kind of like installation art for like museums. I moved into a house with a bunch of like design or optical engineers who were working for these like Apple subcontractors to making like screens and lenses and stuff like this. So we were finding that we kind of just knew a lot of people and word that we were doing this and this thing was becoming real and we were working with Harvard and MIT got back to us in the form of another project opportunity for the U.S. Holocaust Museum. And I think that's when we sort of turned our heads. This was our first like six-figure project and said, actually, you know, this could just be our job. We looked into getting like real office space. We looked into actually doing it full time. And we did that project. Things went great, but that was also when the recession hit. Now this is early 2009. And I think the hopes that we had about that turning into 50 other projects didn't materialize right away. We'll be right back after a quick break. Side Hustle to Small Business is brought to you by Hiscox Insurance. Hiscox, the business insurance experts who tailor intelligent insurance solutions to fit each business's very specific needs. Get a quote or purchase a policy at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, encourage courage. We pick up the story with Jared after some time has passed. Jared is still working full-time, and he's still working the side hustle. But now, he's ready to take the leap. So, Jared, you're about to make this decision to leave a full-time job. What was that like? Believe it or not, it was almost easy. At the time, I was 25, living in upstairs as a roommate in this house in Somerville. I had no kids, no mortgage, no house, nothing I have today. And the question came to me as basically, where am I going to do my best work right now? I had been meandering at the globe for about nine months. Elections had finished. I really wasn't motivated about what I was doing. And then just when I was motivated and I made this like really cool thing, I got reprimanded by the technology department for improperly using a server. And I said, I can't do this anymore. Um, I am in the, the prime of my early career. What sorts of things am I going to learn over the next five or 10 years? Is it about design and technology and all the things I care about? Or is it going to be about navigating this company's politics, which is going to be a better long-term asset for me? And I knew that the worst thing that could actually happen to me at that point was I would go back and get a job. I could do this. So I remember my parents had come up to Boston and I was sitting with them in my apartment and I told them, you know, I've been thinking about this for the last few weeks, and I think I'm going to make a leap here. And they listened to me. They did not try to talk me out of it, but they did say, we don't fully understand why you're doing this or agree with this, but we also have not fully understood a lot of choices you've made over your life. But we trust you, and we trust that you're on the right path and know where you're going. And knowing that I had their support made it much, much easier. Let's talk about the day you decided to make it official with your partners. You and your co-founders are ready to sit down at the table and, and sign on the line that is dotted. What, what happened? So I was a little stressed actually leading up to that decision because I had come in a little bit late. I had come in after um, I was living in Houston. So Tito and Mike had already been cranking away for some time and Mike had left his full-time job to do this full-time. So he was the one that really had the claim to the lion's share of the pie here. And we're thinking to myself, okay, hopefully I can leave with like 20% share of what we're doing here. I'll definitely come in asking for 25 or 30, but 
be ready to, to go home with less. So we had dinner at the sushi place. And I remember Mike brought the organizing documents with him for us to review and sign. And I remember it got to the page about like ownership shares. And there was Michael Schwartz, Tita Botita, Jared Novak, 33, 33, 33. And I was totally shocked because I was expecting Mike was going to claim 50%, if not more. But I knew better than to negotiate against a decision I already liked. So I just let it go. We signed and had a great dinner. And years later, I was asking him about that because I was saying, Mike, at that time, you know, when we were just kind of like getting everything formal, you know, you were doing this full time. Tito and I were dragging our feet. Why did you give us an equal share? And he said, you know, I was debating this with my roommates, too. They said, Mike, you idiot. You're the one that's doing all the stuff here. You're the one that's really started this whole thing and are doing it full time. You should demand 50 percent, if not more. And Mike said to them, that's not the point. If I take 50%, I'll own 50% of nothing. If I want these guys on board, I got to give them equal stakes. And that's how we're going to succeed long-term. And I thought that was just like the most uh, kind and smart business decision he could have made. Because from that moment on, I was never doubting my involvement in this company. I never thought of myself as like, oh, well, you came you know, a month late. So therefore you always had to settle for less, You know, that long settling like resentment that could happen. None of that. We were always equal uh, as long as we were doing this together. And that was just such a breath of fresh air. On that note, what would be your advice to someone who is about to start a business with partners? Whether it's you and one partner or you and seven, you're working on not just making something, but growing something. And the more people you invite into that, if someone is ready to be your partner or wants to be your partner, you shouldn't be negotiating 60-40. You know, my wife and I do not think of ourselves as 60-40 partners in our marriage. We're 50-50. And believe me, she definitely does more childcare and I definitely do more house maintenance. But we don't nickel and dime each other over who does what. We are in it together and that's love and that's how we make a family work. And I think it's the same thing with a business. If you are keeping score day to day or worried about who is getting a little bit more or a little bit less, you're going to spend your time doing that. And any amount of time fighting over the pieces that are already part of the pie instead of working on making new pie, I think that's how you stall a business, not start a business. You know, when we were talking earlier, Jared, every business is looking to grow and add new clients. And obviously you're going to continue to be focused on producing high quality work while you're doing that. But you mentioned to me this idea of growth for purpose rather than growth for growth. Can you explain what that means to you? Sure. So we definitely heard about companies that started at about the same time as us or later than us now have way bigger teams and way bigger staffs. And we think about that and we realize it's not for us. We have grown. We have grown a ton, three people 10 years ago to 37 or 38 today. But the reason that we have grown is because we needed a larger team and a better team to do the creative work that mattered to us. Doing good work has always been the core value of our business. So along the way, we have thought about what are the changes that we need to make in our company in order to support better and better work. Sometimes it's that you need to hire more people because at one point in our past, a company was ready to hire us and said, we will not hire you until you hire one more designer and one more programmer, because right now, if something happens to Tito, our project is screwed. So we said, okay, sounds good. So we were growing in some ways, scaling 
to meet the needs of certain clients that needed, okay, you have a certain number of staff. Sometimes we found someone who was super creative or amazingly skilled in technology, and we knew we just had to have them as a part of our team because they would allow us to expand a capability in some sort of way. But it's always been towards that. Obviously, we look at the numbers, we think about, okay, if we hire this person, can they make us that much money back at least in revenue? But once we satisfy that, we're just thinking about how is this person going to make us stronger? And it's growing our strength, growing those capabilities that I think is key to how we ultimately want to succeed business-wise. From those late nights back of the Daily Orange to Upstatement, do you and your partners just ever sit back and say to yourselves, are we, are we really doing this? Did we actually just build a company together? I mean, not nearly enough, I think, because the day-to-day, I think you lose that. It has happened so slowly over the course of 10 years. Like you said, if I could go back 10, 15 years ago and tell college versions of ourselves anything, I'd actually have a lot of advice, but I would definitely prep them for a world that is very, very different than anything we could have imagined. Even if we could imagine the contours of a business like the one we have today, I don't think we would have had any sense of the sacrifice and especially change we require to make it successful. That has been, I think, the story. It's not just that we are doing the same thing that we were 5, 10, 15 years ago. It's that actually what we are doing has had to change every year, every two years in order to support kind of where we want to take things and what we're ultimately trying to steer things towards. That is, I think, the biggest shock that 2008 Jared and 2008 Tito and Mike would have about this whole thing. I'd like to get your advice and what you would recommend to other entrepreneurs about making that leap and transitioning from a side hustle to running a full-time business. Yeah. I mean, there are a bunch of things there. I think number one is definitely being prepared for sacrifice. I was 25 and didn't have many obligations. That's one of the things that made it possible to go basically two years making less than I was at the Globe. And of course, once I finally caught up, probably less than I would have made, you know, assuming that I got some kind of raises or promotions. So there was a lot of financial sacrifice at the beginning to be prepared for all of that. The reasons that we started Upstatement are not the reasons that we do it today. I started it because I wanted to do better design and better technology work. Guess what? I don't do any design and any technology work anymore. And I think part of that is being comfortable with putting aside what you love to do for doing what you're good at. And it turns out that running Upstatement is something that I'm really good at, but it hasn't wholly been compatible with what I love to do. Work is definitely still work. And I think that's a big shock that people have when I'm talking to you know, friends or people I meet. They assume that I get to do what I love every day. And don't get me wrong, I am blessed to be in this position, to have this company, to be able to follow my pursuits in different ways. But it's a very far cry from what I set out to do. Jared, what is surprise you the most about running a business with partners? And even more importantly, what have they taught you over the years about yourself? I think the experience that this is most like is recently my wife and I had a baby about a year ago, and that's the only experience that this is comparable to. In the process of raising a child or having a family, you learn these things about yourself that you didn't always know, both good and bad. And that has definitely been the experience of Upstatement as well. I have figured out the things that I am actually really good at, I think much quicker than I would have at a big company. Mike Tito and I on paper have very, very similar skills, very similar interests. But it turns out after 10 years, we have found places together where one of us is amazing and the other person 
hates it and is not good. And those nuances can be very small, but reveal the gulf between where someone is just in the zone and killing it and someone is watching the clock and saying, why won't this stop? I have learned that I do my best work in incredibly focused spaces. So I have taken on our operations of the business and get to focus on all these different small questions year after year. How do we take on an office lease? What does that mean? How do we begin to onboard people and create an HR program? How do we do finances and make sure that we are making money at the same time that we are also spending it? These very specific questions I find I do great at. And every year, Upstatement throws a new challenge at me about what system we are now ready to tackle and kind of shape into our own image. So I've learned about that about myself. I've learned how my thinking is always about systems and tools and stuff like that. And Tito and Mike, I have learned from in seeing both of them excel. Tito is someone who can take projects and go a thousand yards deep into it and come up with just the most brilliant idea. Mike is someone who goes across our work and kind of injects little bits of energy and passion into them. And Every project is something that he has kind of augmented and shaped, but yet other people are the ones who kind of take that and actually handle all the execution. So even though on paper, they are both designers and work in interactive media and have this great foresight into how other businesses are struggling with these different ideas and how to create, whether it's an app or a website or a brand to answer them, they go about their work in totally, totally different ways. And I think we've all really seen that each one of us isn't just better in these different areas, but we're a lot happier doing the stuff that we're great at. You know, my takeaway from hearing your story today, Jared, is while you and Mike and Tito have built a business, I think you have also built a family. (laughs) I think so. I mean, the experience of doing this with them over the course of at first five, 10, and now almost going on 15 years, I've seen each one of these guys at their best, at their less best, and been a part of all these important moments together from getting married to the birth of our children to really just growing up and figuring out who we are all the way back since we were like 19 or 20. That's just kind of an amazing like creative life together. Jared, it's been great speaking with you today. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Lou, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me on. I know there are people listening who have already formed a business partnership and you may be having the time of your life. If you're like Jared and his partners, you're probably saying to yourself, I could never have done this without my partners. No way. Others may have gone down that road of partnership and it didn't turn out the way you'd hoped. And some of you may still be sitting on the launch pad trying to figure it all out. Who gets what title and how much of the pie? I know every business situation is different and there are all sorts of reasons why you may have to walk away from going into business with a partner. So do your due diligence. And if you can't find a way to make it work, If you and your potential partners can all walk away from the negotiation table feeling like a winner, then the business was probably never meant to be in the first place. What a gift, though, to stand side by side with another person who's willing to go all in and chase the same dream as you. Whatever you decide to do, don't let ego and greed get in the way. When you think of all the sacrifice and hard work it takes to start and run a business, I like the sound of partner a lot more than the sound of alone. That's our show for today. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe, rate us, and write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show, and we greatly appreciate your support. If you know someone who has a great side hustle to small business story to share, drop us a line at hiscox.com slash 
Side Hustle to Small Business. Side Hustle to Small Business is produced by Hiscox Insurance. I'm Lucas Al. It's time to stop listening and start hustling. This podcast is provided as general information only and is not intended to be business, insurance, or legal advice for any particular person or entity.